Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, the exits at Days Continue. And the latest characters to leave Salem will be Chloe and Trip, which means Nadia Bjorlin and Lucas Adams have wrapped their runs. So let's first talk about Nadia. Um, I spoke to her for an interview in the new issue. Uh, you know, she admits she was disappointed, but she's been in this business long enough to know that she can't take it personally. And really, at this point, she's come and gone a handful of times. So I feel like you can never say never where Chloe is concerned. Now, Nadia started at the show in 1999, which was a really interesting time in Days' history because they established a very strong generation next with Chloe and Sean and Belle and Philip and Mimi and then Rex and Cassie and then Brady folded into that. And, you know, Nadia, I mean, for me and a lot of the audience, really represented the last of that group and kind of the last of that age range even currently on the show. Yeah, she's like the last of that OG. Mm-hmm. Uh, community there. Yeah, she has uh, come and gone a a lot from the show, but I feel like she was really underutilized this time around, and I'm Mm -hmm. super sorry to see her go. Although, in my mind, it can't possibly be permanent. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I certainly hope not. You know, and then as for Lucas Adams, I feel like that's another missed opportunity. You know, I really liked what he did his trip, and I thought there was so much more to play there. You know, plus he's a good actor, and his character is connected to Steve and Kayla. Um, So we also spoke to him. He tells us that he's sorry he didn't get a chance to work with Steven Nichols again with Steve coming back to town because, you know, they just didn't like their times didn't overlap. Yeah. Um, But his final scenes are with Mary Beth Evans's Kayla. It does feel a little unfinished to me to have Tripp heading out of Salem without crossing paths with Steve. Um, But his relationship with Kayla on the show has certainly come full circle. Mm -hmm. So she's the next best thing, I suppose. Um, So on the other end of the casting spectrum, we have a big coming to General Hospital, which is Michael E. Knight coming aboard in a top-secret role. Yay. Uh, Total yay. Michael is a three-time Emmy winner uh, for his decades-long run as Tad Martin on All My Children. And uh, while we can't say yet who he'll be working with on GH, there are multiple performers on that show who have worked with Michael in the past in Pine Valley. Maurice Bernard, Sonny, used to play Tad's pal Nico. He was the Pine Valley brother-in-law of James Patrick Stewart, who plays Valentine. And uh, was uh, Will on All My Children. 
And the two of them have remained very dear friends. And Kathleen Gotti, who plays Obrecht, was a foil to Tad and his wife Dixie in her first soap role, AMC's Taffy. And he and Rebecca Buttig, who plays Hayden, were cast members together on the show for years during her run as Greenlee. And she always told me how much she wishes she had gotten to work with him more closely. Uh, Michael is so popular, not only with fans, but with the actors that he's worked with. And he's just one of the loveliest guys around. And I am so excited to have him coming to Port Charles. You know, what's really funny is that when I heard of this casting and I was so excited, I then thought, oh, you know, I would just love to see more All My Children people back in daytime. And yet here you are naming all these people (laughs) he worked with. And it almost feels silly to say that. But, you know, I really do. I mean, there is such a nostalgia element with that show and so many of those actors. And, you know, I think ultimately so many fans today are watching these shows to see their favorite characters and actors, a lot of whom have been around for decades. You know, that's why it's always so great when you have characters resurgences and writers can find new beats to play with familiar faces. You know, I mean, Tracy on YNR is a good example. You know, she really came in and out of town infrequently until they put her smack in the middle of the Abbott family drama. And she not only got a lot to play, but her portrayer, Beth Maitland, got an Emmy nomination this year. Yeah, you know, and we frequently have that as a category in our annual best and worst issue, most rejuvenated character. And it tends to go to a veteran player who has been underserved in story, um, as you would imagine. You know, in recent years, uh, that honor has gone to Jesus Lucas for his alcoholism mm-hmm. story. And uh, before that, B&B's Eric for his sudden romance with Quinn. You can just never go wrong, really, uh, when you increase the screen time of like a known and beloved player who has been given short shrift. It's Mm -hmm. as close to a short thing, like the closest thing to being critic proof, I think, as a soap writer can get. Um, You never really hear fans complaining about not seeing enough new people or enough (laughs) of the new people that, that, that a show has. It's always, always, always wanting more of the vets. Absolutely. And as much as there have certainly been new characters who have caught fire, you know, see Days as Ben as one of the strongest current examples, nothing beats seeing the tried and true faves. You know, at this stage of the game, that's what I think is the main tune-in factor for today's viewers, you know, that sense of familiarity for characters they watched for years and, you know, still love. And the fact that they can actually see them, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later in some cases is really a gift. Absolutely. Um, Well, I don't think you can point to a character resurgence closer to my heart and I think a lot of other fans as well than seeing the Scorpio brothers ride again on GH <laughs> as they put it. Uh, now that Robert is back in town and he and Mac found themselves as power players at the PCPD and I am so excited to talk to our guest today John J. York who has played Mac Scorpio since 1991. Let's get him on the phone. Hi John. Well good morning everyone. <laughs> How are you? Fantastic on this beautiful Whatever day it is today that you're that we're talking to everyone, <laughs> <laughs> it lives online, so it's just every day all at once. Yeah, pretty much out here in uh, Los Angeles, every day is just the most beautiful day in the history of mankind. So, because and even when it, then it rains, if it rains and it's cloudy and it's different, it's the most beautiful day because the weather is always so beautiful that when it changes, it's nice to have a change. Right, lucky you and. You and I both being from Chicago, we appreciate any sunshine. Absolutely. Yes. That's, you know, my hometown. Came out here in 1983, and I love it. I was born to live in California. Uh, moved there in 83, and then leapfrogging ahead to February 1991 when you made your General Hospital debut. You got the job while your wife was super pregnant with your daughter, Skylar, and she now has two children of her own. It's really some amazing 
journey. Um, so I want to go back to, to that beginning. Tell us uh, your, your casting story of, of getting the job of Max Scorpio. Well, let's see. Um, yeah, I think it was in, I believe it, it was either, I think it was November probably early November when my uh, agent called and said they're casting a major role at general hospital. Um, what do you think? And I'm, you know, well, I was waiting tables at the cheesecake factory and I said, of course I want to go in on that. <laughs> audition." <laughs> and my, my wife was probably what six, seven months pregnant at that time. Um, no, let's see back up. So four, four minus how many nine minus four is, five months pregnant, you know, four or five months pregnant. And I think she was due February 23rd was her due date. If I remember anyway, I went in on the audition and, um, Mark Teshner was the casting director. And at the end, and they basically were looking for Australians because Robert Scorpio is an Australian. So they, I went in and I went to Samuel French bookstore, bought a dialect tape practiced as best I could went in, did my audition for Mark, and he said, good effort. And I thought that meant good effort. Don't let, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. And, um, but he was nice enough to call me back, and uh, I got a call back, and I read for Gloria. And that was kind of an interesting process because we basically we waited. The actors were in Mark's office, and then they would bring an actor down the hall to a, the outer office of Gloria Montes inner office, you know, her big inner office. And that's kind of was the process. And there was an actor, I got called, and I was in the, uh, the waiting room. The actor that was in reading with Gloria before me, it seemed like he was in there for 15, 20 minutes, just a very, very long time. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, she must love this guy, spending all this time with him, oh my goodness. And uh, finally they called me in, and I read my scene, and she said, Good. Very good. And that was it. You know, I, like a minute and a half. I was like, no, don't let me leave. I, I can, I'll do it better. I can do you know, whatever you want. Anyway, uh, I guess she meant it because then I was tested with um, five other actors. In fact, one of the other actors was Paul Satterfield, who ended up getting a part as, well, so what happened was myself, Paul Satterfield, and three other actors were tested. They brought Paul and I back, just the two of us. And, um, I got the, the role and they liked Paul so much. They wrote him a role of, uh, Paul Hornsby. So we both got the job and I started January 14th, I believe. And three weeks later, my daughter was born. Skylar was born. That's amazing. And it was crazy. It was just crazy. And we were working, you know, I was working pretty much every day and we would work till, you know, nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, sometimes past midnight, sometimes. But um, it was just a wild, wild road, and we had a baby at home and getting up in the morning. But it was great because I could still be home in the morning. I just was able to be home, you know. Other careers, people go on location. They go to Europe for months at a time. And I was very lucky that I was able to be at home and watch my daughter grow up. And when school started, I was able to make her breakfast and walk her to school and go to work and most times be home in time to make dinner. So, because I'm the cook. My wife does everything else except cook. She burns water, so <laughs> I don't let her in the kitchen. <laughs> um, now, in the beginning, you had a pretty strong Australian accent. Um, 
in the role of Mac than you do now. So tell us about your relationship with that accent. Mm -hmm. And did you struggle at all with it? What was that like? Uh, The accent, yes, was there from my audition. And, you know, it was Kristen obviously was there the first year. And nobody really said anything about it. And it it just was what it was. And a lot of times it would see fans uh, away from the show and in different cities. And they would say, I didn't know you were an Australian. So I would get some nice compliments like that. But over time, I'm sure, so Gloria was the producer for my first year. And then Wendy Rich took over my second year. And I believe she was the executive producer for the next five, six, or seven years, whatever it was, eight years, I don't remember. But somewhere in year three or four, she said, you know what, just lose the accent. Because, <laughs> you know, with, with each scene and you're working more and more and more. Um, so basically I became a Chicago Pollock playing an Australian living in upstate New York. And that was my title. Because I'm a Polish guy from Chicago <laughs> playing an Australian living in upstate New York. <laughs> and yeah, so everything was fine. And the fan, and the fans were, you know, actually very, you know, good about it. You know, they got past the accent and just were more interested in the storylines and the character and the relationships with, you know, Felicia and Kevin and Lucy and everybody else on the show. So worked out okay. Have you ever gotten a review of the accent from Tristan or Ingo? Um, probably... Uh, uh, he would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think Christian would, you know, say, just talk the way you are, Doc, and don't worry about the accent. <laughs> yes, our producer is Australian, so... <laughs> yeah, we might make you All do... Right. We might give you some lines to say to him. <laughs> so, he, so he can tell you how good it is. <laughs> well, it was interesting. The dialect tape that I got, the, the one thing that I most remember in terms of the instruction was that when Americans speak, whatever region you're from, um, but mostly Midwest is what you hear generically on television and in films. It's basically this Midwest, you know, you really don't hear a Boston or a New York or a uh, Canadian, that, you know, that kind of stuff. You hear a Chicago, uh, Milwaukee, just, 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 a, just a regular kind of voice. If I if, for lack of a better explanation. Um, so in the dialect tape, the coach was saying, when an American speaks, they say literally the bullseye kind of is right in the middle of your mouth as you speak. That's where your energy comes and your air comes and your voice comes. When an Australian talks, he kind of aims for the roof of his mouth and it kind of goes out your nose. and It kind of comes up and around and so, you know, I kind of took that and I worked on that. And that was basically a very simple premise that I worked from. And, of course, when you're doing intense scenes, you're not, I'm not thinking about trying to have an Australian accent. I'm just trying to talk. And sometimes I guess I would go in and out of it. And hence, over time, they said, just forget about it. Just worry about the accent. And I was like, oh, thank you. Perfect. I love it. So do you remember kind of being aware of the importance of Mac coming in because of his relationship to Robert Scorpio and how, you know, key and and a big deal that character was? I do. Um, I remember that Robert, that Tristan, I think, was, you know, he was on the show, I think, 10 or 11 years by then, and maybe he was looking to leave and get a break. Um, And Gloria came back and uh, created this storyline for him. He had this long-lost brother, and I remember one, specific thing was this bracelet that Mac wore 
and it was a bracelet that was shared between the two brothers, and I ended up wearing it, and it was, you know, part of my, after years and years and years on the show, and I became the police commissioner, my badge became that bracelet, in a way, because I would have it up in my dressing room, and every day as I put my wardrobe on, it's the last thing I always put on. And when I first started the show, the very last thing I always put on was my bracelet. And I don't remember, I'm sorry, but I don't remember how that bracelet came off my wrist. Somehow in a storyline. Somehow in a fight somewhere on a dock in the ocean. (laughs) I don't know. Lost to see. Another casualty of Pier 52. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, you mentioned Gloria. What are your memories of her as an executive producer and just of her as a person? And how would you describe your relationship? Uh, Very friendly. Uh, She was wonderful to me. You know, she was wonderful to everybody. But she was just a workaholic. She was always on the set. um, You know, very particular about the way things were being done and um, costumes, wardrobes, relationships, scene work. There was always tweaking. That's one of the reasons why we worked so late. Um, We would block the scenes in the morning and then after lunch, come back and tape all the scenes. And there was so much tweaking going on. You know, we would tape a scene and then the glory would come out with the director and we'd rework the scene. Not just me, but, you know, all the other actors on the show. And it just became a long process, which changed our shooting technique to a block and tape. Meaning if we were starting, let's say we were starting in the PCPD or in the Scorpio living room, the actors who are in those scenes would be called in early. We'd come up to the set. Uh, well, we'd come to work, get wardrobe, makeup, get ready for the day. They would call us up at 830 to start. We would block the scene and we would tape the scene. And if there was any tweaking to be done, you know, we would do it right then. It just seemed to be a much more efficient way to shoot the show um, and to not create these 12, 14, 16 hour days. And, um, but she was great. You know, she loved Matt and she loved the character and loved my relationship with Tristan. And she had, she loved Tristan to death. Um, Yeah. That's what I remember about Gloria. And then she was gone. Wendy came in and Wendy loved Matt as well. Wendy loved Matt and Felicia. I remember Wendy saying, why make Matt and, Felicia, Ted and Diane, uh-huh. not Ted. Um, what, what was his name? Sam. On Cheers. Um, Sam, Sam and Diane. Thank you very much. Sam and Diane. And we did, we had, you know, I got to play a lot of comedy. I was really, if there's one thing when I tell people about my experience as an actor on general hospital, I was, I'm, I was able and still am able to play a heavy drama with light comedy even farcical comedy sometimes, um, you know, just some heavy drama of the relationship of Mac and Felicia over the years, losing children um, with Kevin and with Ryan and with Luke Spencer, the drama of Luke breaking up our relationship to playing Norma and Eve, you know, to working with Artie Johnson and playing some comedy. So I really, I, you know, I've really had just a rainbow of emotions to play on the show. And I, that's pretty fortunate for any actor, I think. Absolutely. Um, so you worked really closely with Tristan Rogers and with Finola Hughes 
uh, when you began. And then they both left the show not terribly long uh, thereafter. And I'm certainly not implying, John, that it's your fault. Um, But do you remember? I know, right? (laughs) Do you remember having any trepidation about whether Mac would have staying power without those characters in the mix? I never thought about it, is the simple answer. Um, Because I was so involved with, you know, Christina and Felicia and all the other characters that it didn't seem it was it was part of the story. You know, it was part of the turning of the page and who knows who was going to come back. Faison, you know, Faison died several times, more than several times on the show. So you just kind of don't know what's happening. And because you're concentrating and worrying about what's happening at the moment, you know, of course, I, I love them very much and miss them very much, but now they're back, you know, and we're just, Kristen and I are grayer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> A lot more gray hair. <laughs> it looks great on both of you. Um, so when Robert and Anna were presumed dead and Mac became Robin's guardian, that really kicked off an important new era for the character. So first tell us about your relationship right. with Kimberly McCullough. Thank you very much. Because, you know, I keep, I, there's so many things that happen that I forget all these, the most important, obviously, but people will often ask what, what's my, one of my favorite moments or my favorite scenes on the show. And I always point to the scene when, Robin Scorpio told me she was HIV positive because it was of all the other acting, you know, that was going on. That scene itself was very personal, which is kind of what I learned in my training. And it was all, it was all encompassing and all fantastic. Cause as she was telling me that, even though we did rehearse it several times as we were taping it and as it was happening, it was like my daughter, my stepdaughter was telling me she was HIV. It was just really, really important and really a wonderful experience for me as an actor. I'll never forget it. And Kimberly is, you know, such a professional and she was on the show for many years before I even got there. So it was just great, you know, and that continued through, you know, another scene, let's fast forward many years when Matt found out Georgie, had been strangled and killed and I went to the hub and I was in the hub and there I always get emotional I even think about it here comes Kimberly walking off the elevator and or Robin Scorpio off the elevator and as soon as we lock eyes it's not easy or it's not hard to get emotional you know it's very easy to get to just you lose yourself these people are friends I mean we may not hang out together and socialize very much because everybody kind of has their own life away from the show. But when we're there, we're there so much and we see each other so much. But, you know, just I love her to death and it's just really special, you know. And, and that's the gold of being an actor for me, at least to be able to find that. Robin and Stone's relationship was, you know, so beloved by so many fans, uh, myself included, and Mac's role in that story of going from being so disapproving of Stone to really, you know, kind of uh, having love for him by the time he passed away was so poignant and and so beautifully done. Yep. You know, uh, thank you. And yes, um, it's all very personal, you know, and, and it was also at the time. HIV, AIDS, 
um, the discussion that our nation was having, and we were living it on the show, and the support from the gay community for the show, for the storyline. You know, the nurses all started because of the HIV storyline, and it continues to this day. It's one of the staples of the show. Um, They brought the quilt onto the show. Just so many memories, you know, from that one storyline. And the acting. I mean, Kimberly and Michael Sutton, unbelievable acting. Unbelievable acting. And they, they even got sick because it was, they brought their emotion each and every day that it, it wears you down, you know, <laughs> and it breaks down your immune system. And they would come to work with colds and coughing, and, but they worked through it, and they kept just plowing ahead, you know, as, and I'll say, Jason Thompson, you know, when Kimberly came back to the show and she, they, were, uh, they did their storyline and Kimberly died, you know, in, in the fire, so we thought. Um, and Jason Thompson, just um, unbelievable. You know, the relationships on General Hospital are so special. When I sit in my dressing room and watch the scenes on the monitor, on the television, you know, watching what's being taped upstairs, it's just unbelievable. You know, the talent that I'm so blessed to work with. These people are just so unbelievable. All of them, you know, and I'm not just... Maybe I'm saying that because it's me working on General Hospital. I'm sure all the other actors and all the other shows are just as talented and their relationships are just as special. But I feel really blessed to be able to have these experiences. And, man, 20, 28 years now, coming up on 28 years, I started in 91. And still having them, still having these scenes, you know. So it's really, it's really cool. Very lucky. I'm a lucky guy. We're, we're both nodding. You do have an extraordinarily talented cast, yes. so you're not off there. <laughs> um, and another one of your talented co-stars is certainly Christina Wagner. Um, Mac and Felicia falling in love was another very important event in your early Port Charles life. So what comes to mind when yeah. you think about that storyline and just that My relationship? My, the little sponge bath she gave me in a barn that started it all off. And she put that cold washcloth up on the top of my back. And I looked over my shoulder. And that's when it all began. And it was a lot of fun. And she's a hoot, Christina. One of the, something, a little insight into John York and Christina. We would run lines and run lines, you know, before we would tape our scene. And we'd run lines and run lines and rehearse the scene. Literally, right before we would tape, she'd say, you know, I don't know if you're seeing that. Get under, you know, see that line uh, the way it's written, and I would like miss a word or something. Maybe it's my educational lack of educational discipline, but and she was right, and it would change the inflection of the scene. It would change. It was like right before we would tape it, so it made it almost improvisational, and maybe that was part of the fun. But she she is incredibly intelligent. She's very funny. Um, very talented, very beautiful. She hasn't changed a bit. She just keeps getting more and more beautiful each and every day. As does my wife, Vicki. You too. <laughs> Let's not forget her. <laughs> beautiful women. <laughs> well, what a great segue to another beautiful pair of ladies, Norma and Eve. 
Um, so many oh, General yes. Hospital fans really have such fond memories of Kevin and Mac cross-dressing to bust the phony psychic Maya. Um, so tell us your memories and experience of getting into drag alongside John Lindstrom, your buddy. Um, well, they, you know, had an elaborate wardrobe for us, and they actually had this one-piece, um, I, mean, I don't think it was spandex, but it was like a girdle. Basically, it was a one-full-piece girdle, and my mine at least had uh, birdseed boobs, so my <laughs> boobs were right there, nice and full. I was a full woman, <laughs> and my auburn hair, and I remember not understanding why women actually put makeup inside their eyelids. That makes no sense to me. But there was the makeup artist opening up my eyelid and drawing a black line inside my eyes. Uh, it's a great And look. then I remember one day going to the set. I have a photograph in one of my photo albums. It's very cool. We were rehearsing, and I didn't have my dress on. I was still in that kind of one-piece uh, girdle thing with my wig and my makeup and my daughter was visiting with my wife that day. And the two of us are on the set with this picture. I mean, it's just priceless. She must have been, whatever year that was, I'm going to guess she was five or six years old. because She was, you know, bigger than it. She wasn't a baby anymore. But it's a great picture. Um, let's see. Another thing is, I remember, now I don't want to, I don't want to get anybody upset now. But I was on the stage, full wardrobe. And with my auburn hair in the lights. And when you're on the stage, you kind of look past the cameras. It's very dark, you know, very black. You really can't see anything because it's so dark. But you can see bodies, the camera guys, and behind them, they're just bodies. And you really can't tell who maybe they are because of the bright lights. And this one guy, uh, one of the atmosphere players came walking up who was always there, Reggie. And he started laughing. And he says, but John, he said, I thought you were Paula Abdul. <laughs> well, I, looked, I looked pretty good, you know. Hey, okay, I'll take Paula Abdul. But he couldn't believe it. Who do you think wore it better, you or John? Oh, you can't make that judgment. We wore it differently. We were both fabulous. <laughs> That's what I'll say. You were indeed. John was... John, John was, or uh, Norma was, elegant. She was elegant and long and lanky. <laughs> and Eve was Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Eve was Eve. Oh, my gosh. What a trip. A lot of fun. Great, great memories from that. Uh, well, you also had another leading lady for a time when Mac and Felicia split in Mary Beth Evans, who played Catherine. So what do you think yep. about when you look back on that relationship and working with Mary Beth? Uh, Mary Beth was a hoot. You know, she's a lot of fun and um, never a dull moment. Every once in a while, she would, if she would go up on a line, she would know the word. She would forget the word, but she would remember what letter it was. She'd say, oh, it's a B word. It's a B word. <laughs> of course, it was, you know, bankable. You know, it was something, blunder or something. And it was, she was very funny that way. So, and yeah, you know, you, you make friendships along the way. I don't know how long that was, Mac and Catherine. I remember having an idea about a song. And uh, I believe Jill was the executive producer at the time. Was, was it Jill or Wendy? I think it was still Wendy. Somewhere, 
Well, it could have been still Wendy. So then I asked Wendy if she would uh, consider playing this one song that I really fell in love with. It was Ronnie Jordan. I don't even know the name of the song, but it was a guitar uh, instrumental type song, kind of a jazzy type song. And uh, she played it. And Mac did a little dance with Catherine in the Outback. The great Outback. The old Outback. Oh, I loved that. I loved the Outback. Yep. Got a good. Pic- I've got a picture here on my wall uh, at home with sitting there talking to Melissa Manchester, who performed at the Outback. Like, how does how does John York from the South Side of Chicago have a picture with Melissa Manchester? That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's a pretty darn cool. Um, so I always think of Mac as one of just the best dads on daytime. He really re- raised three girls, and none of them were his biologically, uh, Robin, Georgie, and Maxie. But he was so doting and uh, devoted to to all of them. Um, so you you touched on the storyline where where Georgie passed away. Um, what are your memories of of playing that heavy heavy storyline when it came around in the late aughts? You know, you get the scripts and you get the stories, and, and you know what's coming up, and you know basically what you have to play. So as an actor, you when those moments of filming happen, you really try to let yourself, as they say in the business or in the acting world, you got to leave yourself alone. You know, don't don't work it. Just just leave yourself alone. Be in the moment. Look into the eyes of the other actor. The life and the energy and the information will happen itself. Um, that's what I remember. I remember just loving Lindsay, you know, and knowing she's not going to be on the show anymore. So that was very sad. Um, but I know she was excited about, you know, things that she was getting involved in. So that's good. You know, as a young, young person going off and doing her own thing. Um, just having these opportunities. Um, Cause you never know, you never know in daytime, you never know when I'm going to get in. I'm going to read, you know, Max dying? What do you, what do you mean? Wait a minute. No one told me that. <laughs> but I almost did. I blew up in the in in hotel fire. Wasn't that me? That was Mac, right? I was police commissioner, and the hotel was yep. on fire, and I, and I opened the hallway door, and I was a Q-tip for a couple of weeks, laying in bed <laughs> with my head wrapped in gauze. <laughs> Another look you, you really rocked. Um, you know, during yeah. that era, Mac was not very um, – approving of of Dylan and Georgie's relationship and you had to be a little harsh to Scott Clifton was that a challenge is that a huge acting challenge um no because for me it's more fun because Scott <laughs> is such a likable guy he's such a nice guy you know and with all the actors you know Kirsten is Maxie just a strong you know off the wall crazy kind of character um and Kirsten is as an actress you know, we're, again, all the actors are just so present, so giving, so prepared. You know, uh, willing to work hard, willing to work hard to find the best road, uh, windy road through a scene. Um, it, it's that's what becomes fun. And then you have the directors and the producers, the supervising producers in the booth, watching everything as it's happening, and they say, "Oh, you know, maybe let's try this, or let's try that." So we get to try all kind of different things. And when you're working with such pros, um, work is fun. You know, people say it's not work if you're there. It's, yeah, it's not work if you're having fun. So, or the 
the best work you can get is when you're having fun at it, and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I get to play cops and robbers and work <laughs> with all these great people. Um, now, after Mac and Felicia's divorce, he was never really in a sustained romantic pairing, although he saw a fair amount of action as the police commissioner at the PCPD. Um, so what was it like for you first when Christina Wagner left the show and then when she returned in 2012? Um, it was steady. I was. I was, you know, pretty much alone, but I was the uh, the police commissioner, um, familiar face. And unfortunately, Mac did not solve many crimes, so the police force really didn't do a very good job. <laughs> nothing's over that nothing's time. changed. Something exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think I did solve one crime. I think it was the jo- Joseph Sorrell murder, if I'm not mistaken. Remember Joseph Sorrell, and the Quartermains mm-hmm. were involved, and of course Sonny was involved. Everybody was involved, and there was this. I remember this one day where I was in like 25 of 27 scenes and I had a lot of dialogue that day and it it was just kind of taking the needle and thread and threading it through everybody. And you came into the room and you turned on the coffee pot and then you, you know, left the room. And while you were out of the room, you came off the elevator. It was one of those days and it went well, but I think I solved that crime. So put that down. Okay. (laughs) Noted. Check one. And and Mazel Tov, by the way. Don't check it though. Don't check it. Nobody (laughs) check that please. (laughs) So funny. So, all right, but we were asking about Christina and, and, uh, losing her as a leading lady and then her return. Um, thrilled about it. You know, I think Mac and Felicia, I know the fans are, there's a lot of, you know, maybe even more Frisco Felicia fans. I understand the history of that, and I understand their um, their involvement and in grabbing on to Frisco and Felicia. But I couldn't have couldn't have received and you know been involved with a stronger leading lady, more beautiful woman. And uh, yes, the relationship it had its ups and downs, and it was terribly sad. I remember the scenes when. Mac and Felicia were breaking up and we were on the couch and we were telling the younger Maxie and Georgie, you know, before the the Kirsten and Lindsay castings um, that were breaking up, you know, we still love each other and still love you, but we're breaking up. It was a very emotional day for me. I remember sitting with the raining and there was just a shot of me sitting there in the rain crying and it was very hard, you know, and you're not, and once again, you're kind of not, you don't know. What's what does this mean? What does the future hold? You know, do I still have a job? Am I going to work here? And all the all these great years—that was about somewhere year nine, year ten for me. And I'm thinking, who knows what the future is going to bring? Because no one really tells you. They're still figuring out storylines and figuring out casting and all these different things. So just taking one day at a time. And luckily, I hung in there, and they kept me kept me around. And Christina came back, and when she came back. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of things to play there, you know, her leaving the girls. So it was perfect. It was a perfect storm. Well, now they've been remarried since 2013, which makes them the longest running married couple on the show. Um, so are you good with that? Or do you wish that they would get some soapy conflict from time to time? Um, I'm good with whatever is, you know, whatever I get to play. And that's the truth. You know, as long as it's not me leaving, <laughs> but I'll play that as I'll do that as good as I can do it too. So, you know, I love it. 
every show, you need you need happiness, you need joy and happiness. Um, there's there's an awful lot of conflict and an awful lot of unhappy people, and so you know, a lot of times there's a lot of bad hats on General Hospital. I know that I was a white hat for pretty much ever, and I like being a white hat. You got to have a white hat on the show. Oh, for sure, and you 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 make a great one. Um, so this past June, when Jordan was recovering from her kidney transplant, Mayor Laura asked Mac to be the interim police commissioner. And I don't know how much fan response you look at on social media, but there was just so much excitement to have Mac back at the PCPD, especially with Robert back in the mix as well. Uh, are you surprised that the reaction was that uh, strong? Um. Uh, maybe a little because I know Brianna is fantastic and she does a great job. Uh, I love being a commissioner and, you you know, just to put it in perspective, I was probably police commissioner, uh, for, you know, however many years, more than 10 years. So that's a long time of being familiar with someone coming in and out and, and doing the same old thing. And then the show changes and there's new characters coming on and new people and, then all of a sudden, you know, because of a set of circumstances, all of a sudden now I'm back in, in my spot with my police commissioner badge and my suit. And now I got a beard and all this kind of fun stuff. And it's just different. And it was very nice. It was very nice. I must say very nice that the fans were welcoming me back as a police commissioner. It was a lot of fun, but it was only temporary. You know, we have our commissioner on the show. And uh, maybe, who knows, maybe Mac might, you know, maybe I might get jump into the police academy and become a uniform cop. I don't know. <laughs> you never know. You never know what can happen. You never know what's going to happen on daytime. Very so true. true. Yes, I, I do have it on good authority that people who like seeing Mac at the PCPD might want to stay tuned. Okay, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, count me as someone who just loves seeing any scenes between you and Tristan Rogers, which they've really ramped up in the past few months. Um, You know, what does it mean to you that the audience's affection and desire to see the Scorpio brothers in action remains so genuine and enthusiastic to this day? Um, It means a lot. You know, uh, it's, it's like an old ripped up, stuffed animal, you know, that's still laying on your bed. You're just familiar with it. You like looking at it. You, you know, give it a hug every now and then. Um, Tristan hasn't changed since when I auditioned for the show, I auditioned and I tested with Tristan and with Finola. And Tristan was Robert Scorpio. You know, he was direct and kind of gruff and just, just, Okay, let's let, let's do it. Let's just do it, you know. And and we did the scene, and off you go. Finola was just like, okay, let's try it this way. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's do this. Um, and it's the same way. Tristan has he just has a certain energy about him, you know. He comes to the set and he's really relaxed, not a care in the world, and knows his lines. And, he, and every once in a while, he'll change a word here, change a word there. You never quite know, but it's always magical. You know, it's just there's sometimes you get lucky like once again. You know, I just don't know how to answer all these questions because I'm just so lucky that the chemistry between the two of us, um, it's genuine, you know, as well. I mean, I'm going to do a we're going to do a trip out to New York and New Jersey uh, in November, Tristan and I. So we're going to talk about the show and our characters and the history of that and hopefully the 
hopefully a couple people come out and see us. But yeah, we have, we, we have a lot of we have, we have a lot of fun together. I love Kristen. I love his family too. Well, John, we are so excited that we got to speak with you today, and uh, we're both huge fans of yours and of Max, and we're just thrilled that here we are 28 years later, and there's still so much, you know, so much to discuss. Yep. Well, thank you for having me on your show, on your podcast, whatever that is. Is that like (laughs) something, you know, a a line you throw out in the ocean to go fishing? I don't even know what a podcast is. That's exactly what it is. Our guppy audience demographic is very high. (laughs) <laughs> very good very good well have a well, wonderful good luck, day you guys. Thank, thank you for inviting me thank you for inviting me of course and thank you day. for joining you too thanks bye john all right bye-bye thank you so much for joining us thank you to john york for being our guest if you like this podcast please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast Do you think all premium fuels are the same? Well, your engine doesn't. Shell V-Power Nitro Plus helps keep your engine running like new because it's engineered to defend against four main engine threats. Gunk, wear, corrosion, and friction. So next time, choose Shell's most advanced fuel ever. It's fuel for thought. In engines that continuously use Shell V-Power Nitro Plus premium gasoline. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.